What's up, nerds? Welcome to episode two of Nerds Watching Wrestling. My name is Jared, aka Alpha D21, and I'm joined by my co-host, Steven. Hey, how's it going? Uh, Steph tweets on the Twitter. Uh, Steph Grams on the Instagram. Follow me or don't. I don't really care. <laughs> that's that's one way to put it. Uh, <laughs> so this is a weekly wrestling podcast where uh, us two nerds get together and talk about, well, uh, you guessed it, wrestling. And this week, we're going to talk about something quite quite dramatically different than last week. Last week, we talked about kind of what why we like wrestling. And this week, we're going to talk kind of a, the career of one of the legends of wrestling. One um, of your favorites. One of my favorites, yes. This was uh, in last week's episode. We talked about our favorite wrestlers. And Undertaker is on my list. And this week, we're going to talk about the career of the dead man and... Kind of go go through it because uh, Undertaker is a very kind of special wrestler in that oh, every special. few years he yeah very special. Uh, every few years he kind of like revamps his his style to some extent, and it's very unique. Uh, not a ton of wrestlers get the opportunity to do that, especially somebody of his like caliber. Yeah, I would uh, say even uh, if you're looking at active wrestlers um, in WWE, he's he's had probably the longest career. Well, this actually might be a completely true statement. He might be the, out of active wrestlers, the longest tenured wrestler in a single promotion. Yeah, because he never, after he joined WWE, that was that was it. Yeah, and he's he's been wrestling since 1990. Um within WWE. in wwe um and he like you can look at people like terry funk and other people that are part-timers that are still wrestling but undertaker uh has had like a, one of the longest times being a full-time wrestler in a major promotion i don't think anybody has even really come close to that yeah i immediately jumped to a bunch of people and as i went to them I realized uh, they were in WCW or somewhere else at some point. Right. In their career. Or they had some like weird few year stint in TNA or something like that. Yeah, exactly. I, that was one that like kind of was like, oh, no, no. Uh, oh, yeah. He was in TNA for a hot second. There is Triple H, though. He's had a very long career within WWE. That's true. Uh, but like if you look at their careers kind of mirroring their active tenure, uh, Undertaker came first. True. Very true. He is there definitely longer. Uh, and significantly higher priority, I would say, at the start, because uh, it wasn't for a few years into Triple H's career or Hunter Hearst Helmsley's time. Well, that, that that's actually was there. That that's something I kind of want to. Definitely, he definitely came in at a higher point than somebody like Triple H. But something I I definitely want to kind of explore during our conversation is when when he when Undertaker truly became a main event player because i this is something i I think we'll kind of discuss a little bit more when we when we start discussing the different uh gimmicks that he goes through the different the different eras but i would uh wager to to say that he wasn't if he was ever the main uh focal point of the company which i don't believe he ever really was if he was ever the main focal point of the company probably wasn't until the 2000s there was always somebody else that was a bigger star. I think maybe this until you true. start looking at the, the Phenom era, he didn't become the main event guy. He might have been in the main events, but he wasn't the star. 
he wasn't on the poster at WrestleMania or well, he might have been, but <laughs> but yeah. Well, it, I I don't I don't really know because he was at every WrestleMania, but right. I don't. Looking back, he was never the main event of WrestleMania until potentially Phenom time period. Right. Which we'll we'll talk about the the Phenom here soon. One one thing I uh, want to point out, just because I don't think we can spend a lot of time talking about this one fact that I, I kind of discovered. Uh, when I was looking over his kind of credentials throughout his entire time, um, aside from like championships and all that, he won he won a Royal Rumble. And this is kind of telling of his career, but he didn't win a Royal Rumble until 2007. That's super late into his career, too. Exactly. Uh, almost 20 years. Which and it it is... almost seems like he was always there as like Great. a safety blanket for the WWE, but he wasn't he wasn't looked at as like, okay, we're going to give you the ball and you're going to run with it until sometime in the two thousands, I think. But he had multiple runs throughout his career as champion. Yes. Or. Not as many, not as many as some people or, like triple H. No, yep. no, no one has, no. uh, no one has as much pull as that man. So but, but let's, I, I think, well, let's, let's jump into it. Yeah. We'll, we'll kind of talk about some of these points as we go. Um, and before we actually talk about The Undertaker, we should talk about his very small stint in WCW. Yeah, it was very short. Uh, he wasn't, I'll, I'll be honest, I wasn't watching WCW when he was there. I mean, he debuted, I was born in 1988, so um, that'll and help people were, steal my... One. <laughs> yeah, that, that'll help people steal my identity. Uh, he, he was there... Um, just kind of looking over and some of the stuff that I've watched in the past, he wasn't a main event player. He wasn't looking at being, he, he wasn't in WCW as the, he wasn't a big figure. He was a, a, a monster figure that they would throw out to a couple of different uh, people here and there. Um, but yeah, mean Mark Callis. It, it's kind of weird when you, when you think about the undertaker, you obviously think about his, his early career in the WWE and, and kind of the dead man persona. I feel, and this is probably something we're going to come back to a couple of times, I feel a mean Mark Callis is the character that Mark Calloway has always wanted to play. Totally. And you can see that later on in his career where he he picks up some of it. Like he's dark, dark bad guy right. type deal, but he's not his initial run of characters or character over the different personas. Uh, in WWE, where there's a very strong gimmick, whereas right. Mark Callis is very much just a big bad guy. I think he he always wanted to be uh, if Terry Funk rode motorcycles. <laughs> I think <laughs> that was who it. he like. If if you could just say you get to be whatever you want, I think that's what he wanted to be. Totally, and I do think that when he came into WWE, which we'll get to in a second, WWF at the time. Uh, it was very much taking his mean Mark Callis and giving it the spin that every character had in WWE at the time, uh, which was just like pushing it to the extreme of whatever side it was. So he was this big, dark, wearing, uh, scary man. So let's make him, well, his first persona in WWE, which was his uh, Western mortician look. Um yeah. Uh, so the early nineties were I a do... weird time, <laughs> especially within wrestling. Cause you got like, the, you have like the crazy extremes of like Hulk Hogan and ultimate warrior, macho man. And 
like Yokozuna and all the different like very extreme characters one way or another. It's not like specifically in one direction, but uh, I think I think this was very indicative of where wrestling was going because it got worse towards the mid 90s. This was I mean, this is deemed as like the the cartoon era. Uh, of wwe and and i think there it's easily explainable uh in the fact that at this point in time there are three different types of characters in the wwe you have your uh superstar uh, like superhero type of people that's your hogan's that's your warriors that's your macho man's that's your uh the people that are larger than life and their persona is being um their persona is being a superhero for lack of a better term what every american man wants to be right in this time period right and uh, i would say even your dusty Rhodes would be in that same category even though his Mm. wwe career was was a little iffy but the other uh of of those three the other uh persona that people would have is you have a job or you have a uh a, a single note about your persona and that is who you are. You have Repo Man. He's a Repo Man. You have uh, <laughs> The Undertaker. He's a Western mortician. Like, these are their jobs, and they just happen to be wrestling for some reason, and they wrestle as their job. That's weird. Uh, I think also, like, you have Coco Beware fits into that. Um, a couple of other, like, mid-cardy people, but they're they're one note. Coco Beware dances with his bird. Like, that's all he is. And then the other, the third type of character you have is Jobbers. Those are just people. They just have their own names. They don't have any other gimmick. They're just people. Random people who wrestle once, don't appear anywhere for a couple weeks. They're are wrestling like talent. house shows and stuff. And uh, they're there to let somebody win. Right. Which well, is great. I mean, I mean, jobbers are very important, especially during this time period. Because especially you, during this time. Yeah. I mean, during this time. And well, and now, I guess. Well, uh, during during this time, it, it would be the common practice was you would have all of your people that have names that people know, and they wouldn't wrestle each other on like your, your weekly shows. They would always wrestle jobbers. The entire match card would be like undertakers wrestling, uh, Jim Franklin. And then you have, uh, Coco beware is wrestling Harry Ponce or something like everybody <laughs> would be just wrestling. Uh, some good old jobber. Harry Ponce. Yeah. They would all be wrestling a jobber. Uh, and then during the pay-per-view, they would cut like promos on each other after they squashed the jobber, but you wouldn't have, we didn't really see that until the, uh, till the mid nineties and even into the attitude era of people on weekly shows, wrestling other known people. Mm-hmm. Maybe you'd have the main event be that, but that's about it. Yeah. It wasn't, it it was a very different time in wrestling, and I I like looking back and kind of seeing these characters, but it was interesting, right, to say the least. So one one of the big biggest things I would say, one of the most important things about the Undertaker's character during this time is, well, he didn't talk, so he had a manager. Yep. And one thing I actually didn't know is uh, Undertaker was originally brought in with Brother Love. Yep. Bruce Pritchard. And then Bruce Pritchard. Uh and then very quickly moved over to Paul Bear, which was one of the best decisions WWE made. I love Paul Bear. He was a fantastic character. Especially when Undertaker was a heel, because it was so easy to hate Paul Bear with just his attitude, his his voice, 
and he's just so good at getting under people's skin. He is. He could talk too. It, it, and like a lot of it comes down to his persona. People remember that, and obviously they should because he's a very easily recognizable persona. But he could mm-hmm. deliver a promo. He could cut a promo mm-hmm. really, really well. Uh, I think if it wasn't for Paul Bear, and I don't think this is a, a controversial statement, but I think if it wasn't for Paul Bear, Undertaker with the gimmick he was given as the Western mortician, I don't think he would have made it out of, of the nineties. I don't think so either, because honestly, I don't think it was until probably the late nineties, mid, mid to late nineties, where the undertaker really stood on his own and really could do all the components of wrestling, whether that's in ring, outer ring, but he was always great in the ring, in my opinion. Oh, at this well, point and then he he now can do promos and whether it's pre-recorded live whatever it is and i don't think he had that at the beginning he was just big man wrestled right. and without paul bear i i totally agree that i would not have he would not have made it right but w- later on when he didn't have paul bear at that point in time he had everything going for him and which is why i mean he's still around today and probably one of the most loved wrestlers of all time. Right. And you look uh, at that mortician Aaron, and I think the, the most memorable uh, run he had was the whole thing with Jake, the snake. He was always somebody's sidekick during the mortician era. He was used as the muscle. He was used as some sort of um, enhancement character. He makes Jake, the snake, Jake, the snake's always been, you know, a conniving heel. He's very cerebral. He's, he's very, uh, the faces are supposed to like, it's very difficult to get a win over him because he's just so he'll find a way and he's ruthless, but he's not intimidating uh, from a physical standpoint. So that's why you have the undertaker there. And the undertaker kind of gives Jake the snake, this era of like, now not only do I have to be worried about him outthinking me, he can also just use the undertaker to beat me up, um, which is kind of what was going on with that whole thing with Macho Man and Miss Elizabeth. Um, and so I think him going into that face turn was interesting because I think they kind of took a gamble on that. Yeah, because uh, you, you, there was no reason to like The Undertaker at this point. But no. on the other hand, everyone loved Macho Man and Miss Elizabeth. Right. So what easy way to make people like Undertaker is he saves Miss Elizabeth. And it worked. It worked really well. And it had him like there's a. He he switched uh, to a face within two years and stayed a face for a very, very long time as far as like WWE is concerned, because it is uh, they are prone to taking their bigger characters and flip flopping them quite often throughout the years. Right. Uh, But he was a face for like seven years after this. Right. Uh, Six, seven years, something like that, whatever it was. And it was great. Right. So something else I want to point out during this mortician era uh we've kind of like we're getting towards the the end of it and kind of ready to move on to the next gimmick but we haven't even mentioned the fact that he won his first WWF championship during this time yeah it was a match his first he beat, wrestlemania he win beat hulk hogan for the championship but didn't really matter because it wasn't about he won the championship as a going back to this thing, he, him being able to enhance other characters, he won the championship in order to enhance the heel character of Ric Flair. He won the championship as a mm-hmm. byproduct. It was almost like 
I'm trying to think of another comparison to this, but it would be it would be like if today, um, during like the Seth Rollins and uh, Brock Lesnar feud, you have Braun Strowman win the championship for like a day or something. He held the championship mm. for six days. Yeah, which I think is a like those transitionary champions are a little more common. Yeah, him now. him winning the belt was used as a plot device for uh it really for them to vacate the belt for then rick flair to win it at the royal rumble probably because hulk hogan at that point in time was like you know i'll lose the belt in a screwy way but i'm not gonna like lose it directly to rick flair yeah it was it was prime hogan gets everything yeah i'll get i'll get screwed out of the belt the belt will get vacated and then you can win the belt in the royal rumble which is fantastic by the way i recommend anybody and everybody watch the 1992 royal rumble it's incredible Mm -hmm. uh so as i had mentioned before uh in 91 undertaker wrestled superfly jimmy snooker at wrestlemania right wrestlemania 7 yes which is the first of many wrestlemania matches and i will we'll come back to this but undertaker wrestled a lot of wrestlemania matches Uh, a few okay uh just maybe the most Hmm. Hmm. But this was extremely important because he he was new. Uh, he was in WWF for a year at this point, and he won at WrestleMania, which is big in and of itself. But he beat Superfly Jimmy Snuka at the time, which was pretty big, I would say, considering how new he was. And basically all he did was wrestle jobbers at the point in time. Right. Now, keep in mind... Uh... Superfly, Superfly was was a pretty big star in the '80s, but he still had a pretty big name in the at least in the early '90s. Uh, when we're talking about his his run, he he really didn't. He wasn't a main event player after that WrestleMania match. That WrestleMania match was really a kind of passing of the torch thing. Um, mm-hmm. He he pretty much left in uh, he left in like '92. Mm-hmm. And then did some did some stuff in ECW in '93. So it wasn't it wasn't that uh, Superfly was still um, like top of the card at this point in time, but he is a you know a star of the '80s of the very recent past at that point in time. Uh, so it, it definitely was something where it's you can see that they wanted to build the Undertaker. It was definitely a hey, this is a new guy facing one of our. In a way, maybe not so much as what you consider now, but a legend of the industry. Uh, I mean, honestly, it's a, it's a lot like wrestling the Undertaker now at WrestleMania, right? Uh, maybe a little different considering his uh, amount of them. Yeah. But uh, I think it was extremely important to what became his streak, which really wasn't even thought about for years after this. Oh yeah, I, they weren't like, oh, it's ninety one. We're starting you on this giant. Here's this thing. We're gonna have you. No we're gonna have you win against. like over twenty matches at, at every consecutive WrestleMania. Like, no, that definitely. Yeah, exactly. I, my, I'm really curious as to when they noticed they had done that. I I don't have that information yeah, like, for sure, but I remember reading somewhere where it was like. 97 98 someone was like hey did you know undertaker hasn't lost yet Probably Jim and they were like oh we should uh we should cash in on that yeah. 
Uh, and then it really became a thing like early 2000s. They would reference the 10 and 0 yeah. or 15 and 0, whatever it was. And it really became a thing. And it really became important to people's careers later on. Uh, well, one person's career, one person I don't like. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> uh, so one of the th- one last thing on the mortician era before we move on. Morticians. uh they have an important task in life. <laughs> they bury people. And uh, to like Triple H. That was a match. Yeah. So Triple H, he's the <laughs> prime example of a mortician in the WWE. Uh, so one of the one of the matches, one, Undertaker's known for doing a bunch of interesting, weird concept matches. And one of them that he introed in his first few years there was the casket match, uh, which really became kind of a staple of Undertaker's time. Like probably throughout the 90s, there were tons of casket matches Undertaker was in almost all of them if not all of them yeah and uh he's been buried many a time uh in those caskets and i i find that uh very interesting because that tends to actually be a, a lot of how he transitions from one persona to another is actually getting buried right it's, it's a way of kind I of would... writing him off and saying oh he's gone they buried him oh and then he can mm-hmm. he can come back um, yeah, I think it's very interesting. You kind of pointed it out in that transition to the dead man. Um, he was just the Western mortician. So really, what is it? Yokozuna kills Undertaker. Mm-hmm. And that that's, he murdered him. He murdered Undertaker. Like, you see this happen. It's, it's terrifying. <laughs> and so this happens. Yokozuna buries him. But he doesn't die in that there's another undertaker during the time that undertaker as in Mark Calloway is gone, which I wish I was watching. I was like three at this time. So I obviously wasn't watching wrestling at the time, but I would love to have watched this and go. That's very clearly not the undertaker. Well, I mean, you keep Brian Lee. Brian Lee is his cousin. Uh, Brian Lee is as tall as the undertaker. Uh, and the Undertaker at uh, that the, point in time had his hair in his face. Like you can't. The quality of TV was a lot lower, right. so you couldn't tell. Especially in a lot of <laughs> a lot of the the big stories were he was live events. So you see somebody walking out, and you're told it's the Undertaker. He's about the same size as the Undertaker. His hair's in his face. Sure, maybe that's the Undertaker. Yeah, it's just very funny to me yeah. to think about because this would never work. No. This wouldn't even be thought of as an option for a gimmick is you you kill the wrestler and then somebody else brings in another wrestler who rather than this is how it works. But instead of being powered by the urn, it's powered by money. Yep. Now, something I want to point <laughs> out here um, during during around this time it was after it was after this time but uh there's a lot of parallels about what's happening just in general uh during wcw and wwf so you have this fake undertaker there was a fake sting during the early um nwo granted that is like a year after this um but it's it's just very very similar in terms of Oh, you think that Undertaker is currently with this heel organization? Just like, are you think Sting's with the? It's it's just kind of funny because you can find these parallels across the board. Um, something that is also interesting about the time period, just to kind of put this into perspective, during '94 when the Dead Man era starts, uh, 
the big thing that you have to really keep in mind is Hulk Hogan's gone. Hulk Hogan's been gone mm-hmm. for a few years at this point. So they're kind of retooling things a bit. They're trying to figure out, okay, who who is going to be our big stars? This is kind of where Bret Hart is really uh, coming into his own, and he's becoming the face of the company. Uh, Shawn Michaels is starting his his kind of ramp up. Um, so it's a it's kind of a strange time for the company, and they're kind of trying some new things. I would say this is probably one of the lowest points in unquestionably WWE's history, yeah. and Undertaker was kind of like consistent throughout the whole thing i think when they brought him back as the dead man feuded with himself sort of uh and then afterwards feuding with uh i mean you've got matches against bret hart and there's diesel and then you've got what towards the end uh mankind and i guess kane was technically after this so there's a uh, yeah, you so here's here's the another interesting thing about Undertaker during this time. I think this is the time that's probably the most important to the Undertaker's career. Up until this point, he's used for the most part as an enhancement talent. He's used mm-hmm. uh to prop other people up. Uh and then they kind of they sent him away and 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 kind of brought him back to to retool him, find find a new edge for him. But I think this is the time period. The Dead Man era is where uh, Vince McMahon began to trust The Undertaker because The Undertaker, you look at what's really happening kind of behind the scenes here. Diesel leaves kind of midway through this feud. Uh, they have their WrestleMania blow off, but he leaves pretty much like right after that. And then you look at, okay, Mankind comes in. He's a new person. Who are they going to put him with? Undertaker. Goldust comes in. Okay, who are you going to put him with? Let's put him with Undertaker. Uh, and then there's a couple of other failed things that that happened here, like when you have um, the Executioner, which was supposed to be kind of a bigger character, with Bam Bam Terry Gordy. And then, you know, they put him with Undertaker. And then later on, you see Kane put him with Undertaker. They kind of try things out with the Undertaker because, I don't know, maybe they're, maybe Vince is, is looking at him as a reliable hand. Maybe he knows that Undertaker at this point is already starting to become a draw. So if you want to try a new character, put him with somebody who you know can draw already. Um, but it's very interesting. Yeah, and you can put over... Honestly, The Undertaker was at a weird point as far as face heel goes. You could kind of put him against whoever, right? and it worked. It made sense. And it really allowed the other person to wrestle somebody who was popular. People were going to watch the match. And somebody who knew what they were doing in the ring Mm -hmm. and could make you look potentially better than you were. It's interesting we talk about Mankind because Mankind's a, a... interesting wrestler to watch because i don't he's not a classic wrestler in any 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 case but his matches are always fascinating and he always along with the undertaker he does very good gimmick matches right right yeah you Uh, have your your boiler room brawl you have um i think they did a buried alive matter they did a casket match or something like that yeah so the well the next transition away from the dead man uh to sort of a new persona uh, is actually involved in the first ever Buried Alive match where uh, kind of like a heel gang goes against Undertaker and buries him alive at the end of the match against Mankind. Yeah, it's really a, a hodgepodge of, of people during that match. It's, it's really I, weird this to is, back. I, Yeah, this is where you had talked about the Executioner and his one of his like 
one of the pushes to get him over and which obviously didn't work is because we're still talking about the Undertaker and we ain't talking about the executioner very much. But you could talk about and, Terry Bam and, Bam Gordy. He's got I'm not going to I'm not going to dwell on this. But yes, uh, it was definitely a, a botched <laughs> idea um, because the, really the executioner idea, whether you like it or not, hinges on the Undertaker. It's it's not a character that can really live outside of that Undertaker world. Like, who is the is the Executioner going to start feuding with uh, Bret Hart next? That doesn't make sense. Um, something that I do want to point out uh, before we kind of get out of the Dead Man era is this is also the time when Paul Bearer uh, leaves the well, not leaves the company. He sides with mankind. He leaves the Undertaker. The Undertaker is on his own for the first time. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, this is where this is why I was saying before it was kind of in, like one of the things like Undertaker when he started didn't really talk didn't promo it was when he came back as the dead man where he would actually get on the mm-hmm. mic he may or may not like have cut long promos they were terrible would... I, I will say that yeah, there's a it, lot of rose colored glasses with the Undertaker uh, the Undertaker was not a good I don't honestly I don't think the Undertaker was ever really a great promo during pretty much until maybe the 2000s i would say very late 90s there's a there's a charm the to that but yeah okay the ministry it, was good. so it so the the reason it's good is because he's good at playing the undertaker right now is the undertaker good at cutting a promo no because he's big this big stiff guy who shoots lightning bolts out of his hands and crazy shit like that so it's uh and he's really only been dead for a few years different. he's still getting used to being dead <laughs> yeah he's just working out them cobwebs so you said in transitioning from the dead man into the lord of darkness uh you said that it's not much of a character change but keep in mind during this point in time uh lord of darkness is taking the character of the dead man and starting to give it some attitude literal try totally. to bring him into the, the attitude era absolutely and so when i say there's not much of a change it it's it's more of a visual change than anything because i feel like the character is very similar until towards the end you start seeing the brothers of destruction or as he starts leading into the ministry where there is a very very different feel to the character mostly with the lord of darkness you have new new entrance music and like he's having powers and weird, crazy stuff like that. And he is using starting to wear his, like what we think of now as the undertaker's garb, whereas like black leather, like accents to all his gear. He had like came to the ring on like from the rafters at one point in time. I think the biggest difference and this might sound like a joke at first. The biggest difference is he's wearing fingerless gloves. He's yes, wearing his like the MMA first time he's wearing. I don't think they were padded gloves at the time. I think they were just fingerless gloves. But yeah, so it's the first time you get rid of the like really big cheesy. Well, mortician gloves, I right. guess. And the, the big cheesy uh, boots and like this seems like little stuff, but it's all kind of meant to add to his mobility. He's able to actually do more in the ring because he's not hampered with this like gimmicky clothing. So he's he's kind of pared down a bit he also has this really stupid uh teardrop under his eye that bothers me every time mm-hmm. i watch back on it it's absolutely terrible um but for the most part this is the start of him being able to be more athletic totally and really use like some of his like actual training because he's he's good at fighting 
but I mean, he was wearing big goofy gear that made him just big man who pushes people. Uh, and it really kind of changed how he worked in the ring. But ultimately, is when you think of a character, the dead man in the Lord of Darkness didn't act that different in promos or in like their whole gimmick as a thing, but it's really how it looked. And I, in, in the ring, I, I, he still did the tombstone choke slam, those type of things. But yeah, I mean, he uh, started to do things like you're seeing him do the, his now uh, pretty classic suicide dive um, where he's jumping out to the, the, the outside of the ring. Like those aren't things he was really typically doing as the dead man. Um, that you didn't really see until he started to get the Lord of Darkness. Um, I think the the main like personality factor that's changing is from Dead Man to Lord of Darkness. Under he gets mean, not like mean heel wise, but just he gets more. Uh, he starts. He's not like I'm going to choke you. I'm. It's getting more to I'm going to punch you. <laughs> this is when he starts yeah. to punch people. <laughs> Yeah, which which leads into kind of how he functions after like 2000s and later where he has a very different fighting style. Right. You can see a jump from Lord of Darkness to American Badass, but you can't see a jump from totally. Dead Man to American Badass. I think there's just it's really you don't see it like you've said from just those that little like 90 95 to 96, you don't really see much of a character difference, but there's certain little seeds that subconsciously let you Except Absolutely. what happens later on. So, a couple key events uh, that happen during his Lord of Darkness time period. Uh, one of the best debuts, which is not The Undertaker, one of the best debuts in wrestling happened in Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels in the first ever Hell in a Cell match, which is debuting Kane, which has been teased up until yes. this point by Paul Bear talking about Undertaker's secret. And this was a prime me watching wrestling and I loved this. I was so excited. This was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, this was fantastic. Uh Kane Kane for me uh during I would say 1997 I was a bigger mark for Kane than I was for Undertaker. <laughs> when Kane's music hit and he comes out, that original Kane with that original mask, it's like fucking yeah. fantastic. Um something that we we keep we gloss over some of these moments, but right before Kane debuts, uh Undertaker wins his second yeah. championship. <laughs> yeah, this is true. Uh we we uh and this is the first time that he really wins like he he isn't winning the belt to serve a storyline that he's just kind of a secondary character like the first one. This is him winning mm. the belt. And he's involved for the first time, really, in the main event. He's he's feuding with uh, Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels during this time period. He won. This is the WrestleMania 13 match. Is that right? Against Psycho yes. Sid. When he yeah. beat Psycho Sid. Good old Sid Udy. Yes. Yeah, so... This was pro so we talk about we talked earlier about how Undertaker really didn't become the big thing until 2007 ish time period where like he's main eventing all the time. This was his first opportunity at that I would feel like. And mm -hmm. I don't think it lasted very long and that he was the guy. Uh, but this definitely felt like it. Like he 
headlined WrestleMania and won the title and then had some of the best matches afterwards. But then he kind of went back to where he was beforehand, uh, which isn't low on the card by any means. But I'm sure most people would have loved to have been the Undertaker during that time period when they were wrestling. So... I think something something happened during uh, 97 and 98 that might have uh, just taken over The Undertaker a little bit. That's being Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah. Uh, that's probably why he wasn't all the way at the top, even though he was feuding with, with Stone Cold uh, for a good amount of time. And during this um, Lord of Darkness, he wins the tag team belts with Stone Cold briefly, um, which is yeah, bizarre. That's uh, one of those he, weird late nineties thing where you put two people together and win the title where they have no, this happened a lot. I feel like you're using, yeah, you're, you're using the tag team championships to further a feud with the people mm-hmm. that are the tag team champions. <laughs> like, Oh, how can they coexist? And then they blow up and then, you know, they, it's because you have a really weak tag team division at the time and you don't really have anybody that, uh, Vince doesn't like tag team wrestling. Yeah, it wasn't but, for a few uh, years after this before tag team wrestling really took was taken to another new level because I like mid 90s was great for tag team wrestling or early to mid 90s. And then it was nothing, at least in WWE. And then late 90s, early 2000s, it was uh, my favorite part of wrestling. But that's a whole other topic yeah. that we'll get to at some point. So dirt. During this time period, you also have Undertaker. You talk about the the casket match and the Buried Alive matches. Um, you also have two other match types that Undertaker uh, does. He's the first person to do them in um, in the WWF, and those are Hell in a Cell match, the first ever Hell in a Cell. He's there, uh, and that's where Kane debuts. That's against Shawn Michaels. Fantastic. Uh, definitely recommend watching that. Um, but you also have the Inferno match against Which Kane. Which was... An interesting match type. Yeah, it's one of those like, yeah, it's a really cool concept, but execution was not done super well. How are you going to have a good match where the way to finish that match is for somebody to catch on fire? Yeah, it just doesn't work well. At the time when kayfabe was strong, uh, it was fun to watch. But looking back, it's like, well, no one's going to get hurt by fire in a match. Like this is obviously right. very stupid. So we're not going to go too far with this. Uh, so, right. I don't know. I like the concept of an infinite match and it was perfect at the time. Again, like undertaker versus Kane, his brother in a match related to fire. When the whole concept is uh, undertaker killed his family, whatnot. It's great. But, Right, but you didn't kill Kane. Kane's there. And this is also, you know, you're getting a lot more promos from Undertaker because he's in this huge storyline and Kane is obviously not talking. He's got Paul Bearer. So Undertaker's going to have to do the other side of that Mm. conversation. Which, as we've talked about, mm, not super great, but... Right. But, but, this might be one of your favorite... It's not your favorite. I know what your Mm. favorite Undertaker uh, iteration is. But uh, my favorite is what happens after this. Yeah, so... The shortest lived, I think, of of his... Uh, uh, Of all of his gimmicks. It's close to, if not the the shortest. The next after this is pretty short as well. Uh, So, there was a small stint where 
Kane and Undertaker join up to do the first first brothers of destruction that's short lived and then Mm -hmm. very quickly after you get uh undertaker going heel for the first time since like i had mentioned earlier since 92 pretty much yeah and he kind of disappears uh is gets paul bear back on his side and becomes like the head of a brilliant organization. Ministry of Darkness. It's fantastic. It's uh, you talk about his first heel run. He's kind of a a, a vanilla heel for the, the sake that he's a monster heel. He's just kind of there. He's brooding. Blah, blah, blah. He's just I'm I'm the Undertaker. I'm gonna I'm gonna fight whenever somebody tells me to fight. But here he is the driving force of his own healery. <laughs> Uh, the Ministry of Darkness is, until we learn later, the Ministry mm. of Darkness is his. He's this terrible person that's doing these awful things. He's crucifying people. Uh, he He's getting all these other people to team up with him. And it's, it you know, for little kids, it's scary. And for older people, it's cool. Uh, one of my, my, I was a WCW and ECW person at this time, but. I would flip over and I was super into ministry of darkness. That would be one of the few times where I might not flip over to see if WCW is back from commercial. Um, I would stick and watch ministry of darkness until WWF went to commercial. Uh, I was also a huge fan of the brood uh, gangrel. I was the weird person out of edge Christian and gangrel. I liked gangrel. Very I'm much. So. Um, I like the acolytes. Um, even people like Midian and Viscera, I was interested in them. And they I loved sucked. Viscera, but that was just me. I totally get it. I totally get it looking back. I'm like, mm, yeah, okay. Uh, so Ministry of Darkness, let's talk about that for a minute uh, as a group. So you yeah. have two pre-existing tag teams or like stables, I guess. You have the Brood, which is Christian Edge and Gangrel. Then you have the Acolytes, which is uh, Bradshaw and Farouk, uh, who... recently changed to the acolytes and we're kind of being run by a shadow figure which you find out is the undertaker uh and then you you have undertaker and uh the acolytes kidnap dennis knight and turn him into midian right he's a he's a pig farmer (laughs) they kidnap a pig farmer basically brainwash Uh, him into becoming midian which is so weird. And sa- same thing happens with Viscera. Uh, I think he was still King. Mm-hmm. Was he King Mabel at the time? He was still Mabel. he was still Mabel. He he had just returned. It was kind of watching back on this and knowing what happens. It's definitely like kind of obvious. But like Mabel comes back and you're like, why the hell is Mabel here? And why is he still Mabel? He's been gone for so long and like they haven't retooled his character. Oh, mm. this is why he's being kidnapped. Uh, and yes, so you yeah, have him coming in as Viscera as the big muscle, <laughs> I guess. Uh, I, don't, I don't think anybody's ever yeah. called Viscera muscle. Uh, but, uh, yeah. And then they do all sorts of crazy shit, really. Uh, you have like Stephanie McMahon and... Uh, he kidnaps Stephanie McMahon and tries to... Sacrifice to her? Sacrifice sla- slash marry uh, You her? also have... Ke- Ken really Shamrock's uh, quote sister, uh, yeah, Ryan Shamrock, and, and also Ken Shamrock, which is 
Mm-hmm. An interesting group, because uh, the the whole thing is uh, Undertaker and the Ministry are trying to take over WWE uh, against the corporation. Right. right. So that's Ministry versus yeah, the corporation. corporation led by well Vince, and then you've got Big Boss Man and Shamrock and just the kind of upper people on that side, and then you have the Ministry. Uh, this also you have things oh, like just just going back to like the stephanie mcmahon thing you you have these weird uh like they're outside of vince's house they're they're watching stephanie mcmahon it's some really like creepy like we talk about the attitude era and you you look at things that are uh that won't fly today ministry of darkness would not fly today totally it absolutely would not like you have them burning crosses in people's yards and shit which yeah that wouldn't work today it was the same thing, like the same thing that they did in ECW, where Raven crucified Sandman, and Kurt Angle decided he couldn't be a, a part of that company. Uh, and all of a sudden, he sees this Ministry of Darkness. He's like, mm, yeah, "Yeah, but I'm still gonna, che- I'm gonna go ahead the and checks are still sign with them." <laughs> Much bigger. So one of the interesting things that I, that I read that I, I didn't remember, but uh, it actually part of the storyline had Vince calling out Mark Calloway that he's gone too far, which was yeah. uh, an interesting moment at the time because it was very heavy in kayfabe. Yeah. I mean, you started to have some breakaways early on with the Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart stuff when you have the, the Hart Foundation and, and you have them kind of shooting on each other uh, in promos. But yeah, this this is one of the the like knowing winks and nods to the camera in regards to kayfabe where they're they're explicitly uh saying i mean this is the first time that they they refer to the undertaker as As anything other than the undertaker which was uh interesting i i think it honestly it leads to a lot of stuff now where it's really there is no kayfabe because it's impossible to have that at this point in time but Right. I mean, kayfabe now is you have to make the decision to suspend your disbelief and you understand you're watching a show and you're just kind of giving into the storylines. But I mean, before kayfabe legitimately was, this is who these people are. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah, but, this is a you know, uh, it, man who has risen from the dead four or five times uh, and he's running a satanic organization to defeat a cult, a cult. to defeat <laughs> Vince McMahon. Which would would be the person who has a right. cult going after to, him. So. Right. And he's doing all of this so he could run a company. <laughs> a, wrest- a wrestling company. What kind of satanic death cult? Yeah, you're a satanic death cult and you want to run a wrestling promotion. Uh, it's it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, it's something that there's a lot of really like brilliant minor storyline details with the Ministry of Darkness that it's just like really subtle storytelling. You have things with the brood the brood were always kind of reluctant members mm-hmm. of the ministry uh, because they were their own entity. And they were the first people to break off from the uh, the ministry uh, when it started to kind of splinter out. They were like, when the ministry started to fail, uh, they would get beat down. They would get, uh, they had to kind of like save themselves. So it's, it's this mid card storyline with the brood that's involved in this bigger storyline that part's great you have the whole thing with stone cold steve austin kind of showing a different side of his character for mm. the first time where he saves yeah Stephanie helping McMahon. vince for the first time he helps his yeah. arch nemesis and 
the there there were points with the brood in that where Christian in particular got the brunt of issues, especially during the like specifically the Ken Shamrock side of things where they right. set they like blamed the issues they were having on Christian, which inevitably led to them kind of branching away and Right. The brood ends up choosing each other instead of the ministry. Exactly, which uh I'm happy it happened that way because we would never have Edge if he stayed in the ministry. We would never have had Gangrel really tearing up Sunday night heat. Yeah. Is he still wrestling? What's he doing now? He is. Vampire Warrior is still active on that on is a, That's a career I didn't think would still be going on. Uh well the other yeah. two in that, that party stopped a long time ago. Mostly because they had uh, yeah. to. <laughs> so, we've been talking about the ministry. Uh, we've been talking about the ministry because we we love the ministry. It's a great uh, a great storyline. But I feel like we really don't want just just like when it was happening, we didn't want it to end. Yeah, but then it did because the way it ends. Uh, yeah. So at the end, the whole the whole concept of the ministry, kind of towards the middle area and later, is Undertaker wasn't the leader he had a higher power as well. And right. it ended up being Vince McMahon, which was so wow. such a just letdown. It was a letdown because I think this was one of those instances of everybody watching is like, Oh, who could it be? Who could it be? Oh, this is going to be great. It's going to be this big reveal. It's going to be this whole new storyline with this whole new character. This should be amazing. But ultimately, if you really thought about it down in your heart of hearts, you just, you know, that Vince McMahon is just going to be it. It's just going to be him. It's all going to come back. Yeah. And he is still the hottest heel in the the company, but Ah, you just you wanted that feud to be real the whole time the corporation versus the ministry uh but all it leads you to is the corporate ministry which i don't know it just i it made me sad it wasn't it wasn't terrible corporate ministry like within and of itself wasn't bad it wasn't the worst thing. The corporate ministry was, it, it was still, it wasn't as hot as the corporation and the ministry separate, but it was still pretty good. And it, it led to uh, the undertaker had the belt uh, again. And Austin was able to take the belt off of the corporate ministry. You have both of these organizations and you look at it from the character's perspective of stone cold he's battling both the ministry and the corporation and all of a sudden they form together how the hell is stone cold gonna beat this and he manages to overcome it's great for the character of stone cold not so great for the character of the undertaker who ends up teaming with the big show as the unholy alliance which i didn't know that was their tag team name yeah Uh, they won the tag belts twice which was good uh and this was actually at the time where i really liked the big show i thought he was a good wrestler for what he did Obviously, he's not a nimble guy of any sort, but this, I think, was his prime before the Big Show really transitioned to being somebody that pushed people, which is what he was for the last 10 years of his career, is his job out there was to make sure other people got their spotlight, which he did well. He flip-flopped all the time to make sure things worked, and that may or may not have been the best option, but 
this right now in this time, uh, late nineties, early two thousands was the big show's time and got to spend some with yeah. undertaker. Not exactly the best group I would put together, but you know, it is what it is. This is also when undertaker had his like second injury, second major injury. Cause it, he undertaker didn't wrestle a lot at the beginning of the ministry because he had a hip surgery. Right. Uh, and then it, right. Oh, this is, ahead. I was just going to say by all accounts, this is the, uh, the most unhappy that the undertaker has been during a gimmick. He did not like the ministry. He did not like at this point being in the WWF. Uh, he was negotiating with WCW pretty heavily, uh, kind of on some of the back end stuff. The whole thing about him starting to become the biker uh, as he was kind of tooling these ideas because that was going to be his gimmick if he ended up signing with WCW was essentially going to be the American badass. Um, he couldn't because he couldn't take the Undertaker. He yeah. didn't own the Undertaker, but he owned himself and he owned his own character. And hell, that's what WCW was doing anyway. It's all these people that you recognize that are just themselves now. Um, so he he was kind of looking to get out, which would have been ridiculous. Imagine if in... 1999 or 2000 you have the undertaker instead of being the american badass in wwf he's in wcw that would have been a huge shot in the it, arm for them. it may have completely had that happened it may have completely changed where we're at today in wrestling i i don't know if it would right. have been for the better but we definitely would be in a very different spot had that happened because undertaker was extremely important right. on wwe side during the monday night wars the many years of it. So having him go yeah. that late in the, in the wars would have been huge. And I'm glad you didn't. So I, yeah, I was, I was recently watching the, the unholy Alliance thing and I don't know how much of it was a shoot, but you could tell that like the whole, the end of that, and it had a weird blow off with the two of them where it wasn't really, and a lot of it was because the Undertaker got injured, but it wasn't really resolved. You could see the Undertaker was getting frustrated with Big Show uh, in their tag team. And it was really, some of it seemed like, you know, character work. Like he's supposed to get annoyed with Big Show and then he's going to turn on Big Show. And then, you know, maybe he'll turn face after that. But a lot of, a lot of it seemed almost like he was just kind of frustrated with the storyline. So he takes a break. Yeah, he um he takes some time, goes and fixes his groin, and and his and his, his pec. pec. Oh, I didn't know he had a pec injury as well. He, he tore his pectoral. He was out for like almost a year. I think it was like I'm looking at it now. He's yeah. out for eight months. So he comes back as my favorite persona, and probably the internet's least favorite persona. Uh. Oh, they hated the it during this time. They hated it American so much. American Badass Undertaker. Name given by his entrance music. Done by Kid Yep, Kid Rock. Rock's American Badass. I loved it. I loved every part of it. Uh, riding a motorcycle to the ring, wearing MMA gloves, wearing short hair, beanie, bringing an American flag to the ring. Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mentioned that the I mentioned that the '90s were weird. The 2000s. Were so weird. this was like a really big yeah. change, obviously. But this was not an Undertaker character, and I knew no. that when it happened. It's like, yeah, he's the Undertaker, but only because no one's gonna 
care who Mark Calloway is. So he's still got to be the Undertaker. Uh, so that's why they kept the name, I think. But this was very much a Mark Calloway character. As we mentioned before, this is closer to mean Mark Callis than any of his other persona. Uh, this is very much just big tattooed guy who beats people up, who happens to have died five or six times. Right. Yeah. He and as he was a corpse, he decided to get a bunch of tattoos, uh, which I never understood. But I this is this is a joke, but I always believed that the reason why this American badass character started is because Undertaker, Mark Callis, Mark Calloway, he got super jealous because his cousin, Brian Lee, who, as you remember from earlier in the podcast, was the fake Undertaker. He got to do this gimmick earlier. He got to do this gimmick when he was a part, he started the, uh, or he was a member of the um, Disciples of the Apocalypse. He was, um, what was he? Chains. Uh, Once Crush left, Chains was the leader. He got to do the bicycle gimmick. He wanted to do the bicycle gimmick. Uh, That was my my thought is he always was jealous of his cousin, Brian Lee, getting to be a biker. He was like, I want to be a biker. And then when he left, uh, when Brian Lee finally left, in comes the undertaker saying yoink i got that i'm coming back after almost a year out i don't want to be a dead man anymore i want to be a biker and so looking back at this character makes no sense at all but it was a thing he at one point had roland as his music by limp biscuit which i also loved uh one of the most important things that came out of the American Badass phase is the last ride finisher. Uh, Because it was the first time he changed his finishing move since he debuted. Ever. Uh, And it was much more like stressful on his body, I would say. This is a move I don't see him do very much anymore. Probably because he has had like four hip replacements or something. something. He can't hold people above his head anymore especially when he keeps fighting people like right. Brock Lesnar and stuff because they're gigantics. Yeah. He just physically <laughs> yeah. can't do it. I mean, he physically, he physically can't do a lot yeah. of things now. Uh, so I, I mean, like I said, I really like this, but I get why it was not good. Uh, he was used in the undertaker was used on the like, WWE side of uh, the invasion angle, but, not for anything huge. I mean, he wrestled Triple H at one point before the invasion. Uh, he was very directionless as the American badass. I mean, you you would have him wrestling Triple H one week and then Edge and Christian the next week. And then it just wasn't. I mean, he had one really well. He had a few. He had, I think, two big feuds during this time. Uh, one was against Kurt Angle, uh, where he had a couple of uh, big matches with Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle had this big rise. Uh, and then the other feud he had was towards the tail end of this gimmick, which was during the invasion storyline against Diamond Dallas Page in one of the worst storylines of The Undertaker's career, uh, where DDP is obsessed with his wife. Yeah, this was weird. Totally misused DDP. Trash. It was trash. He was great. It was part of the whole, like, make everyone better than WCW idea. Uh, Right, right. And then, like, later on, Undertaker and Kane were the WCW Tag Team Champions, and then they uh, 
was it they lost against the alliance but i don't know i i don't think wrestling was as important to me during this time as the character was uh i loved the invasion but i don't remember much of the undertaker in the invasion because he wasn't that important yeah he really wasn't which was sad because he was just kind of you put him you put him with some people and you just here have a match and have a storyline for a few weeks it wasn't it wasn't until he started to do big evil where it was pretty much the same gimmick to be honest as the american badass he was still riding motorcycles it was still his thing but he was doing that whole respect me thing and he was being kind of an asshole this is when he switched back to being a bad guy turned on jr and really went whole headfirst into the i'm better than you listen to me i'm the i'm the bet here type mindset it's where he feuded with randy Orton and other kind of up-and-comers uh which was great i think this was probably like the biggest change with undertaker in that like it really showed that he had better uh promo ability uh i think it was a lot because it was kind of more like him it was him talking like him not him talking like a dead guy it was yeah as much as the american badass was who undertaker was outside of the ring in terms of his personal life i think big evil was who undertaker was i mean it was a mean version of it but i think that's who he was when he was in backstage Mm mm-hmm he was the guy keeping everybody together. He was the veteran presence. Uh, and I mean, you look at all the people he was working with. He was working with Rob Van Dam. He was working with Maven. He he was Maven's first feud. Um, he was working with, like you mentioned, um, with Randy Orton and a lot of other new people. John Cena. He, he was wrestling with uh, all of the new people, just like he was when you had Mankind and Goldust and all that. Uh, he's putting over even if he's ultimately coming out, I mean, Jeff Hardy yeah, was during this, no, probably, this time period. This is when he kind of switched back from being what you would call a heel and became more of a face, a fan favorite, I would say. He still had that same gruff persona, but it was just, he was the Undertaker at that point. It was, and it was his incredible match with Jeff Hardy, where at the end of it was the first time you see the Undertaker just like raise the hand of the guy he beat because the match was that damn good and it really pushed right. jeff hardy and i mean so and, and especially like from a storyline perspective you're looking at the whole gimmick of the undertaker during this big evil thing is respect you know you need to respect me and this is him showing respect mm-hmm. to another competitor so it's really taking that whole storyline line of you know respect being the only thing that matters to the undertaker and here's somebody that gets his yeah and this was where I don't know if you said it, but the concept of it, but like the yard, like owning the yard, uh, yeah, really started and kind of he that was his thing, even as he transitioned away from the big evil and kind of became a hybrid, I'd say, of all of his characters, uh, going on. Yeah, that was always his thing going forward is is respect the undertaker and you'll be okay. You might lose, but you won't. And get this buried. is, yeah, right. And this is also one of the first times I think that he's looked at as like a legend. He's already a legend walking around. I mean, he's he's been in WWF at this point, WWE for uh, over a decade. He's he's really an established person. 
Uh, and this is during the time period where WWE is the only thing around. It's the only company. It's after all the mergers, he's the elder statesman in the company that can still go because you have your Hulk Hogan's, you have your your Ric Flair's, uh, but Undertaker's still active way more than the rest. Yeah, of he's still uh, good to watch in the ring, whereas you have your yeah. Ric Flair who should have stopped wrestling before that. Oh, he could always put yeah. on a good match. He could put on a good match today. I, I believe I that. I don't know about that. I I enjoyed some stuff from Rick Flair just be and, and Hogan. Well, I didn't actually care for Hogan ever coming to WWE again after the invasion, but uh, WCW was great, so he's got that. Uh, yeah. So we also start to see from a wrestling standpoint, he's incorporating a lot more submissions. He's doing triangle chokes. He's doing his weird dragon sleeper for like a few weeks. Uh, he's starting to kind of be more MMA minded. Yeah, so this was interesting. He he like during the 90s was trained in MMA and never used it until really the American badass movement and subsequently into the right. evil time period. And I mean he the MMA gloves, that whole thing and a lot of his movements through the ring, he was a lot quicker. He uh would do a lot more submissions, like you had said, and won by submissions, which, I mean, I don't even know if he yeah. ever did a submission until t- the year 2000. He might have done like a a sleeper or something. Uh, yeah, he really bear hug or something, like maybe. I don't know. Nothing of yeah. note, though. And so it was very different. Uh, and I like it, like lots of striking. Uh which he did obviously do lots of striking in the past, but it really became a major point in his arsenal in the ring. Uh, And I actually like his wrestling styles significantly. I like just all wrestling from like the late nineties on more than early nineties, but especially the undertaker, because it was pretty, it's dramatically different from 10 years earlier and better in almost every way. I think. Yeah, and I think a good point about The Undertaker is he's established at this point, I mentioned it before, he's been in the company for a decade, but his style up until that point, uh, he wasn't really beating himself. I mean, he was getting injured uh, because he was in some crazy gimmick matches, but he was still able, he was in his physical prime at this point. I mean, we, we didn't really talk about it, but when he debuted, when he won his first WWF championship, um, he was at that point in time, the youngest WWF champion that they've had. Uh, so he, he came in pretty early. He, he wasn't, he was in that place where he could be a veteran, but still relatively young and still relatively easy on your body. He completely destroyed it from uh, this point to now. Uh, that's when a lot of his wear and tear has really accumulated because he started to do such physical stuff mm-hmm. in the ring. So, there's not really well undertaker still did feud with kane i like for many years and at some point a feud was brought up that obviously wasn't super important to my memory of undertaker but uh undertaker was killed again by being buried alive <laughs> there's a theme to his career uh and he gets buried by Kane and uh, he leaves for 
a period of time. I don't think there's any major issues during this time. Like, no, I don't think it was an injury related thing. Um, I think he's taking time off. He, he might he might even be taking time off for like one of his kids or something. Yeah, I, 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 I yeah. just don't think it was a health thing. Um, I think it was just like no. I'll leave for a little bit, come back at WrestleMania, something like that. Because uh, that became his uh, his thing, his gimmick going forward, really. Yeah. Uh, but this is honestly probably the biggest, the start of some of the most important times of uh, Undertaker's career, like where he is the headliner throughout a lot of this. Uh, and it's his right. phenom era or the return of the dead man or whatever you want to call it. Uh, it it's, it's the big combination of what Mark Calloway is as a wrestler. You have like similar attire to when he was the American badass in his ring attire, but he also still comes in in a long leather jacket and top hat type thing. Uh, but he's still wearing MMA gloves. Right. He brings back the hat. He 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 hadn't even worn the hat for years. Yeah, he had a cowl. Uh, even when you're looking time. at like. Yeah. So this is this is really I think this is him embracing I think he he kind of resented the Undertaker character for a while. And I think this is him going, you know what? I am the Undertaker. I'm going to embrace this. And this is his start of his legacy career. But this is also the time, as you pointed out, that he's on top. Yeah, so he he has a lot of very good feuds during this time period. Uh, it's also when he brought in Paul Bear and then dumped him. As the first the first time that he gets rid of Paul Bearer with the mindset that Paul Bearer is a weakness holding him back, which I thought was great because right. Paul Bearer always turned his back on whoever he was with. It was never the other way around up until this point. So it was very interesting to see the Undertaker kind of move beyond that and and become the phenom, become this greater character, I guess, as uh, you know, I'm a teenager who totally doesn't believe wrestling is real anymore and uh, is uh, enamored with this uh, undead giant man who wrestled. Yeah. I think this, I think that's him finally putting Paul bear to rest. <laughs> that's, that's him. That's him finally moving on from the idea of needing Paul bear or Paul bear as a major component of his character. And it's just allowing him to say, look, this is me. This is what, this is what I'm going to be. Uh, and, and, that kind of allows him to to kind of just stand alone. Yeah, and and during this time period without Paul Bear, you have really really good feuds. Like I had mentioned, you have feuds with uh JBL, you have feuds with sort of feud with Heidenreich. I don't know if that was a good one or not, but you have feuds with Randy Orton. No. You have feuds with really really good feud with Edge that kind of carries on for a very long time. You have good matches, kind of Undertaker is the first person to defeat the Great Kali, and I don't think anybody has ever said great matches and yeah, Kali. I, uh, I I think for what he was, I think it was good, but I don't know if it was sure. the Great Kali should have wrestled. But Undertaker made it a good match, right? Right. Uh, and then you have lots of big matches, especially. I mean, obviously, every year you have WrestleMania. You know he's going to be at WrestleMania. You have him fighting Randy Orton. You have him doing, I don't know, how many other matches do we have in, in WrestleMania? I'm going to pull up a list here. Uh, 
uh, a lot. Mark Henry I think this, this is also one of the casket match, though. Yeah, uh, Batista. Well, Mark Mark Henry. This was this was kind of coming back around to Mark Henry having a main event push and stuff. But we're we're looking at during this time. Uh, they mention his streak a bit. They mention I think it's it's mentioned during Big Evil a little bit. Where oh, in WrestleMania. Did you know that Undertaker's not lost during WrestleMania? But it's not really addressed as like nobody's goal is to end his streak until this dead man character and that's i think we're looking at like wrestlemania 20 wrestlemania 21 it's like the goal is to take him down at wrestlemania yeah and that's the first time that that really starts and happening. it really becomes like going forward every wrestlemania match he has is a huge match it is with a major character in wwe and for the most part the feuds are built up prior to the event towards the later end of his time or well now i guess toward up until now towards the end it's it less and less build up it's just like ah undertaker's here all right he's gonna wrestle someone yeah but you have during this phenom time period you have randy orton mark henry batista edge all good matches and i'll take your word for it i stopped uh, multiple championship wins uh which I don't know how impactful his championship wins were here, but it was like wrestling at, at for the streak, so he had to win. Yeah, I mean it's also a low point for the company in general. Um, and you know, whenever I mean we looked at this during the during ninety five ninety six, when the company's struggling, you look to the Undertaker, yeah. and so you you could trust the Undertaker just like you could trust at this point in time your John Cena's. You can trust. Uh, there's certain people that you can look to to just say, you know what, you guys, your Triple H's, they they are going to be the ones to just wrestle every freaking match. Uh, and I think that's a lot of what we saw during um, the bulk of the 2000s, the later era, the mid to late 2000s. Um, I wasn't watching, so I'm making a lot of this up. But <laughs> I mean, that was this, this transitions into a... Yeah, this transitions into a weird phase that, that we, we were talking about a little bit off off pod and we hadn't really we both weren't watching during this time um but this is the time of the the last outlaws uh, kind of how it's described yeah so you get undertaker who's banished by vicky guerrero who fucking weird that whole that's a whole thing uh when he returns in kind of in the next year or so undertaker shaves his head he has a mohawk He's wearing this crazy leather jacket, like old West super gunslinger esque jacket. And I don't know, here and there people reference him, I guess, as the last outlaw. I'm not totally sure, but I mean, he's still the undertaker. Right. This is my, my thought just kind of as, as I've mentioned, I wasn't watching at this time, but just kind of looking at the way that this shapes out, my thought is Undertaker comes back during this time and he says, you know what? I'm going to give it one more run, one more run as a full-time performer. He's just recharged after the the banishing by Vicky Guerrero. And he says, cool, I'm going to retool my character for the last time. This is just the last character that I'm going to have as a full-time performer. It's, it's not really addressed in this way because he did 
I mean, he's still holding on. He's still wrestling matches. But this is the the last time that you see him week in, week out. He has storylines. But I think he at this point knows. Look, I'm gonna. I'm probably gonna have to go to a, a shorter schedule after this. Um, this is when you get a lot of people's favorite matches, where it's his his matches with, you know, the streak with um, Shawn Michaels and and Triple H and that kind of back and forth. Mm. Um, yeah, but four years in a row, you yeah. have Triple H or Shawn Michaels going against Undertaker, and the last of those matches I've watched since gone back and watched, it's a great match. Triple H undertaker, hell in a cell with Shawn Michaels, a special special guest referee and undertaker wins, leaving them both in the ring. Right. And it's kind of like symbolizing the end of that competition and was awesome. Great match. And they're all old as hell at this point beaten to shit triple h maybe not so much because he's done copious amounts of steroids no one and he's he's younger he's younger than than all of them uh and honestly i i don't i don't know if he's done steroids but damn the dude is in shape i mean of course he has uh Uh, but yeah i think this is i think all three of them know that like this is the last time that we're going to be the focal point of the stories that are being told yeah especially sean this is the last time, yeah, this is the last time that we're going to be champions, except for Triple H for some reason. Um, and this is the last time that the entirety of the show will be kind of written around our stories. Yeah. And I think it was a good way to end it, because that match, like I said, really good. Good looking match. They all performed really well. It was a 30-minute match in a Hell in a Cell, yeah. which is crazy, especially considering yeah, they're that's... in their, all in their 40s. Well, Triple H is probably in his 30s at this point, but they're in their, the other two are in their 40s. And they performed really well, and it was good to watch. Um, and throughout this time period, as the outlaw or whatever, he had feuds with like Batista and Edge, and obviously the other two. And for the most part, it was as good, I think, as you could get at the time. But I don't know. I don't think it was anything too special compared right. to some of his feuds from 10 years before this was just like like you had mentioned before steven it it was a kind of a low point as far as writing was concerned it was you couldn't do the crazy shit undertaker did before because this was i mean this is the pg time period you can't do certain right things. so and, and i mean also the company was really focused on your CM Punks, your Edge, your, your Jeff Hardys, your your Daniel Bryans are coming in. Like it, the, the company is going a different way. Yeah, and this is I, I believe a lot of these years, uh, Cena headlined WrestleMania every freaking year. Yeah. yeah, I'm looking here. Cena's on the cover with The Rock on a lot of these posters. So yeah, you've got that going for you. So Undertaker was a main point in wrestling at this this, during these years but he again wasn't the main point right so then he moves into his part-time role where i like to describe him from that point until today as he is the end boss of a bonus level (laughs) uh that's a very good way of putting it he's he's not your your main your main boss of your main storyline but if you start going down a, a a 
an expansion quest or something like that he's the main boss that'll finish off that small little quest uh you have your roman reigns you have your brock lesnar's it's a it's a marquee match that you put on WrestleMania or one of the other cards. And it's just like, hey, look, it's The Undertaker. Mm-hmm. Who's going to wrestle The Undertaker? How's this going to turn out? Uh, and that's kind of where where we're at today. And that's kind of where where he was pretty much since he stopped becoming a, a full-time wrestler in, what is it, 2013, 2014? Yeah, and it, it was a lot of like he'd come in here and there for like a month or so. Then he'd yeah. leave. Obviously, he came in for WrestleMania. He hadn't missed a WrestleMania until this year, 2019, uh, since, was it, 92 or 90? 91 is his first WrestleMania, Whatever, yeah. however that adds up. Uh, yeah, because so, he debuted in Survivor Series. Yeah. So you've got CM Punk. He wrestled and won. Uh, and then the worst night of my wrestling uh, <laughs> fandom life, uh, he lost to Brock Lesnar. And I'm okay with the streak being ended. I think it was an important moment to allow somebody to get uh, get get up in their career because it's a major moment. Even if Undertaker isn't the guy, he still has the streak. I just wish it wasn't Lesnar. But when you're looking at full circle, like Brock Lesnar's first main big feud was really with the Undertaker. I mean, that's that's the feud that made Brock Lesnar a superstar early on in his career yeah um maybe one day we'll have a, a an episode like this about brock lesnar just to watch you completely melt um i mean but, but... lesnar's only had one persona his entire career uh i mean unless you count jimmy yeah, johns much. as a separate persona <laughs> i mean he's gotten progressively more red <laughs> <laughs> this is true uh so he's also wrestled bray wyatt Good match, yep. actually. Yep. Uh, an interesting match after that, which is uh, versus Shane McMahon in a Hell in a Cell match. I didn't want to like this match. Yeah. But Shane McMahon is an, always an interesting person when he's in types of matches like this because he goes all out. And he's not a wrestler. No. By trading. But he does crazy shit like that. He's done it since the late 90s when he first really started to do matches where he... Yeah, he'll go through the glass. Yeah, he'll go off the stage. Yeah, he'll do whatever. Steve Blackman he threw him off of a freaking uh, off of the like the Titantron. Titantron. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's crazy. And this match really showed that. And I mean, Shane's old, too. <laughs> this was after he yeah. came back after leaving the company, too. So he hadn't yeah. been doing it for a while. I don't think uh, Chinese uh, conglomerates really uh, condone with you jumping off of stages and stuff into true Fox. i think that that's i think they've they've come they've uh they have a long history of not liking their uh executives to do that yeah which is probably a good thing <laughs> uh, uh yeah i think i think he he kind of i mean it, it's nice to 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 bring everything full circle and but i think at least during this stretch of time he's doing what he does best and that's put people over even mm-hmm. if he's winning these matches he's showcasing and just having a match with the undertaker even as it was with going back to Goldust and Mankind during their debuts, uh, having a match with Undertaker, you look at it with Maven, you look at it with Jeff Hardy, they will make your career. So mm-hmm. that's that's kind of where he is. Uh, he, during his entire career, he was never really the face of the company, but he's kind of become the 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 
pillar of the company. Yeah, and I think so. This is kind of a controversial thing. The whole Saudi shows. Uh, Undertaker like headlines those more or less. Like he's required to be there for the most part. Uh, yeah. There was the DX versus Brothers of Destruction match, which came out of nowhere and was that last year? Yeah, for some reason, it was terrible. It was not uh, a good I match. Think... Him versus <laughs> Goldberg yeah. have been one of his worst matches ever done. I think the only reason why he's the one that's kind of headlining these things is because uh, Yokozuna and Ultimate Warrior are both dead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And I mean, it's sad, but I mean, it makes them money so they can continue to do stupid shit. But like yeah. uh, the Bray Wyatt vignettes we're getting right now, and I love them. Uh, so one one last thing I, I want to mention about the streak is or wrestlemania him in general is the roman reigns match because it didn't do what it should have done no and i don't think anything could have helped roman at the time because at the at this point in time no one could put Ro- the rock couldn't put roman over the yes, the fans had decided they didn't like him and uh, honestly no fault of roman reigns i think he's a a better performer than people will give him credit for. And I think he's a better character than people will give him credit for. But I think that the fans had just decided already that they weren't going to, they weren't going to let him get over as a face. And mm. there's just, there's nothing that could have been done about it except for yeah. sadly what, what was done. Um, but happily what, what ended up allowing him to come back, which was leukemia. Uh, yeah. That's the only thing that could turn him face, which is ridiculous. It's ridiculous considering he's good at what he does. Not very good on the mic, but he's fine. That's okay. He's, he's fine. He's not even that bad. He's better than uh, I'd say a lot of people, but he's not. He's the better rock. than early career Undertaker. <laughs> Nobody's <laughs> the Rock. Like, Nobody's like, the Rock, but he's his like cousin or something like that. So yeah, I mean, it's got to run somewhere in that family. I, uh, I don't know. The Rock's the only one I think that really has it. So I, I noticed early on during our, con- we've been talking for a long time about the Undertaker. and I'm sure we can keep talking, <laughs> um, but I noticed there's something we skipped over uh, and I don't think we skipped over it intentionally, uh, but I think we could talk a little bit about it now. Uh, and that's the, I think what a lot of people, at least that watched when we watched um, and that watched the Undertaker, especially when we watched uh, the, what a lot of people decide is, is ultimately their favorite, match or memory of the undertaker from the attitude hmm. era we didn't talk about hell in the cell yeah well we, we talked about, we talked one, about hell in a cell. one hell in a cell but not the hell in a cell which is holy shit one of the best matches ever uh, and it's not a great best, the best match. gimmick matches yeah well, let's put that caveat there it's one of the best gimmick matches that has happened and it's undertaker versus mankind uh hell in a cell was it the second hell in a cell it was the second hell in a cell yeah and it was this is at king of the ring uh it was absurd how ridiculous it got so you have the match starts on the top of the hell in a cell right because the day before mankind thought it would be a good idea so they did it. And Mankind goes off. 
He he was yeah. I think as the story goes, Mick Foley was planning this match, and they were trying to like Mick Foley wanted to top the first Hell in a Cell, uh, with uh, where Kane debuted, and it was against Shawn Michaels. And the big thing about that one, he was talking to Terry Funk, uh, and he he was like, you know, they the what was the big thing with that match? They threw. Um, Shawn Michaels threw the cage. They threw him through the cell. Well, I mean, what can I do? I guess I'd have to jump off the cell. I think Terry Funk said, you should just jump off the cell as a joke. And then uh, Mick was like, yeah, maybe I should. And Terry regrets ever saying that, ever suggesting that he should do that. Because uh, that's what happened. Yeah. Uh, as God is my witness, he is broken in half. He's broken in half. Yeah, that's uh, th- say back in your head what I just said, but as Jim Ross in the nineties, uh, it'll be way better than what I just said. Fo- uh, followed followed by uh, an equally uh, iconic uh, call of that, which is Jerry the King Lawler saying, "That's it, he's dead." <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he he fell off. But he continues. He was choke slammed off. <laughs> well, he's, well, yeah, he was choke slammed off. He was pushed off, I think, more or less. I don't know yeah. how much force was given there. But uh, through the announcer's table, no less. Because what I mean, got something's got to break your fall. Later, after Foley gets off the stretcher, uh, they end up back up on top of the match or on top of the structure. And then uh, Undertaker accidentally goes through the cage again. Or McFoley. Yeah, he gets uh, accidentally goes through the cage again. Yeah. Uh, With a chair landing on his face, pushing a tooth into his nose. Yeah. And he lands on. Were there thumbtacks in that one, too? Uh, I don't know if the thumbtacks were in this one. It's so bad. But there was blood. There's lots of blood. Also, apparently the Undertaker had a broken foot. Yeah. <laughs> why not? Why, why not wasn't the only one to get hurt? Uh, yeah. I think that this match, I don't know if it's talked about enough, but what this match was, what this match did for the Undertaker, a lot of people talk about what it did for Mankind, what it did for McFoley. It, it obviously put him over huge. It really endeared him to the fans. After this point, I don't care what McFoley does in his career. Did you see, do you remember what he did during that Hell in a Cell? But what this did for The Undertaker is it allowed The Undertaker to, the fans at this point could believe that The Undertaker was capable of doing anything. Mm -hmm. I don't think if this match didn't happen the way it happened, I don't think Ministry of Darkness or his heel turn that came after this would have really been possible because people would be like, oh yeah, but it's The Undertaker. But people were like, yeah, I guess the Undertaker could crucify somebody. Did you see when he almost killed Mick Foley? Like <laughs> this, and you look at Big Evil, you look at all these other things where he's legitimately, this allowed people to be afraid that the Undertaker could murder you. Before you're afraid that, you know, he might shoot lightning at you or or something, but this made him terrifying on a real level. Yeah, and I mean, watching this as a kid, Oh, one probably shouldn't have been. No, uh, but two, I—I I mean, it really got you to think that wrestling was more real than normal matches, right? 
because these people i mean i mean unless you're ecw then all of those make you think everything is real because jesus uh but this match as far as like a wwf wwf fan is concerned was nuts it was as way far as more exactly way more uh, well until the hardy boys dudley boys and edge and christian started wrestling together uh sure. but yeah this time it was it you didn't have stuff like this in wwf you you might flip channels watch ecw for a second and see crazy shit happening but right. you'd be like they would have a scaffold match or new jack would jump off of the fucking roof or something uh onto the fans but you didn't really have stuff like this yeah it, yeah and it was great like um yeah this, this is still a match that i'll go back and watch just because i'm like oh i'm gonna watch the wrestling right now i'm gonna go watch uh undertaker versus mankind so also a lot of what they did was great those two wrestling together they they had great matches one match that was early on in their feud is part of trivia that i think i kind of want to leave as my last bit on the undertaker we talked about how he didn't win royal rumble until 2007 uh he had a feud early on with mankind that cost him the only chance he's ever had at winning the intercontinental championship huh undertaker has hmm. never held that belt interesting that is so that is wow he's been a like a a heavyweight champion many times in his career right you don't really think about it intercontinental title he he and he wasn't he didn't really we talked about his first win of the the heavyweight championship but i don't really count that as him winning the championship we've talked about he held it for six days whatever he didn't win a belt uh in wwf until what was it 90 when did he win it from uh was it 96 when he beat uh psycho sid i think it was 96 so for six years he was just a guy that didn't win any belts really didn't he win i thought he won in he won early on he won his first the first wwf championship from uh Hulk but Hogan, he didn't but it, i don't it wasn't a real he didn't have a reign of any sort right he okay. won the belts that way hulk hogan and rick flair could continue their feud but anytime that people talk about oh so-and-so is not getting a push so-and-so is not getting a shot because they're not involved in any championship like remember the undertaker number one never won the intercontinental championship uh, and he didn't get his real first reign for six years yeah and he was yeah. he debuted as you know a main eventer so internet wrestling community in 94 they're probably like man why don't they just give him a championship belt yeah yeah it's uh very weird to think he really i mean looking at his like uh championships throughout the years other than one hardcore championship He's never held any of what would be considered mid-card belts. And hardcore championship is barely that. Right. And he won some tag teams and all that. Uh, but he never He's won, won a single... many tag teams. Yeah. But no European championship, no U.S. championship, no, no. Uh, intercontinental championship. Which is fascinating to me, considering he's been around for so long. And, like, Big Show's won those. John Cena's won those. You look Orton, at every the... other main... You look at every other like top 10 
performer, they all made their careers with one of those mid-card belts. Stone Cold Steve Austin with the Intercontinental belt. The Rock with the Intercontinental belt. Bret Hart with the Intercontinental. Uh, Shawn Michaels with the Intercontinental. That's what made them, and that's what allowed them to win on the biggest stage. Uh, correction also, he didn't win until 1997. Um, yeah. That was his, wow. his first reign. That was when he beat, beat Psycho Sid at WrestleMania 13. Um, yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. Never, never held the Intercontinental, never held the United States. Even as yeah, the, it's, the American Badass. How come the American Badass didn't win the U.S. Championship? Yeah, that would have been a prime time for him to have gotten that. But, you know, during the invasion, I, mean, I guess it makes sense because he, they didn't need him in that card because he always right. still even in his lowest point was still in big events so yeah. it makes sense you Let... could always chuck him into a heavyweight championship match at any pay-per-view and nobody would question it give him a week exactly one call one show one raw for him to say i'm coming to take back my belt and he's in the match yeah it's oh that's kind of fascinating to think about one day we'll talk about championships a little bit more, but uh, today I'd say we're done talking about the Undertaker. Yeah, how's that sound? I think that sounds great. Do you have any anything left you'd like to say about the Undertaker? Uh, you know, starting this off, I was I was coming into this podcast ready and willing to say uh, that the Undertaker is kind of overrated, just by and large. But as we've kind of gone through everything and. I think really, ultimately, The Undertaker, aside from maybe a few years here and there, has been one of the most unselfish, uh, consistent performers. And you can't let the last few years kind of cloud your memory of him coming in and having a kind of iffy match and wishing that he stayed retired. But, I mean, he's been wrestling since 1990, and he's part of, I think, every generation of fans can say that The Undertaker has had a memorable impact on their watching wrestling. Some of their favorite moments have to involve The Undertaker. Absolutely. I I, I always think back to when I started watching, my brother's only connection with wrestling really was The Undertaker. And like I had mentioned in last week's episode, that's one of the reasons I started watching is because of the character I remember playing like a, that, a game so on, I, I think it was Nintendo and, or maybe it was Super Nintendo. Uh, but it was one of the old like WrestleMania games and there was only a few characters and they only had a few moves. Uh, I would always play as the undertaker. And that was before I like, this had to have been like 93, uh, 93, 94. I wasn't even w really watching wrestling, but I would play video games and I would play as undertaker. Yeah. I mean, what's better than a big man with purple gloves? Well, with that, I just want to remind everybody that uh, the American Badass is the best era of uh, The Undertaker and Roland is the best entrance music ever produced. Do you realize that both of our favorites, for me, Ministry of Darkness, and for you, uh, American Badass, are some of the most controversial and hated gimmicks of his? Oh, absolutely. I And I appreciate that about us. Uh, and uh, fight me if you think I'm wrong. Respect. Someone's going to fight me. Uh, I want respect. That's so good. That, hey, that was big evil. That was all about respect. That was Maven drop kicking him and eliminating from the Royal <laughs> Rumble. Watch, watch that Royal Rumble. Also, uh, as I mentioned before, watch Royal Rumble uh, 1992 to see Ric Flair. Uh, and it, it, that match is just probably one of the more underrated ones. But that has nothing really to do with The Undertaker. 
All right, y'all. Uh, did you like us talking about The Undertaker? Do you want to hear us talking about another one of your favorite wrestlers or uh, any other topic? You should uh, leave us a comment. Give us a little rating over on iTunes, Google Play, whatever their podcast service you might like. Uh, and with that, I hope you all have a nice day.